Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Media Podcast listeners. We wanted to let you know about an exciting industry conference that's just around the corner. Podcast Day 24 is a unique event in the podcasting calendar, and it's backed by Radio Days and the organisers of the British Podcast Awards. Yes, that would be Matt Hill and Matt Deegan. Two in-person conferences, one in London and one in Sydney, both on the same day, October the 4th, bringing together broadcasters, publishers, platforms and technology companies. So for half-price tickets, that's right, half-price tickets for two events in one for half the price, use the code PTUK1208. That's PTUK1208. It's very catchy. Go to podcastday24.com to book your ticket and we'll see you there. And now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Faraz Osman and on the show today, new ITN CEO Rachel Corp warns that action is needed to ensure the sustainability of UK broadcast journalism. So what's in a crystal ball? We take a look at the lawsuit putting slaps back in the spotlight. What is the Nazir Bayev case? Plus we hear from Press Gazette's editor Charlotte Tobit about her top takeaways from the Future of Media Technology Conference. And in the Media Quiz, we're testing our pundits' knowledge of the latest news in digital media and tech. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. So yes, Matt Deegan will be away for a little while longer. And in the meantime, I'm here to take you through this week's media news headlines. So let's take a look at what's been going on this week. The latest national ABCs are out and the Financial Times saw a marginal year-on-year growth in circulation in August. However, all other newspapers did report a decline. New Culture Secretary Michelle Donnellan has announced that she'll re-examine the business case for the privatisation of Channel 4, stating, I'm the type of politician that bases their decisions on evidence, that bases their decisions on listening, and that's what I'll be doing over the next coming weeks. And GB News has appointed Helen Warner as the head of television. Warner was the former head of daytime at both ITV and Channel 4. But on today's show, we're unpacking some big headlines for the UK journalism and broadcasting world. And here to help are two very special guests. First up is ITN reporter Warren Nettleford. Warren, how you doing, mate? What's been going on? I'm doing all right, thanks. It's been a busy time, but generally all good. So you had a, um, a startup that launched, but now you seem to be back in the ITN reporting seat. Is that is that right? That's right. Yeah. So we had Need to Know, um, that was a startup that did very well. We won um, a Royal Television Society Award for creating this youth news service, um, primarily on social media platforms, uh, running that for a, a year or so. And it was great fun. Uh, but these things, you know, come to an end and the series just finished. But who knows in the future, we may come back to it. Well, I hope so. The more news we can get for younger people the better a world we will create as a result. And speaking of news for younger people, we have the uh, ever young James Ball with us as well, who's now the global editor of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. James, how are you doing? What have you been up to? 
Busy as ever, actually. We uh, we just put out a story on uh, Nestle deforesting the Amazon. Uh, the main thing of which was that Nestle makes pet food. Who knew that? Um, but uh, yes, I can, you know. I can see your cat like in the corner of this shot. So I, I don't know if you're feeding your cat Nestle pet food off the back of that uh, investigation. So not not anymore. I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> he gets pet food now from a much more ethical pet food company Procter and Gamble who I'm sure are great I just haven't you know investigated them yet well let's slowly move away from the dramas of uh, of pet food um, and actually quickly chat about your new podcast the news conspiracy so what is it that you're hoping to achieve with uh, a podcast jumping into this news world it's essentially it's trying to use conspiracy theories to talk about and explain why we're all going a bit mad and why we're all getting a bit polarized so we tend to have sort of comedians as guests but we off you know we have experts we have all sorts of people and we've you know already we've done everything from was the moon landing fake um but with a sort of movie director to you know is big pharma hiding the cure for cancer and so it's trying to be a sort of podcast about conspiracy theories for sane people. Um, and yeah, it's it's good fun so far. Um, I don't know if we've put, you know, put the world to rights, but we're trying. This week's episode is on whether or not the, the earth is like a kinder egg and it's got like a special toy in the middle of it and it's actually hollow. Is that right? What did you decide on the, on the end of that? Well, it, it turned into quite a strange one, that one, because... Um, it turns out like that Hallie, the guy who named Hallie's Comet, believed this conspiracy theory, and like quite a lot of eminent scientists did. But most of the modern people who believe it think that the Earth's hollow and has amazing technology and, you know, for resources and everything, but that it's full of Nazis. And so I just don't like the idea that if the Earth's got a VIP area, it's full of Nazis. So we decided not to believe that one. I mean, it's not ideal, but uh, but it sounds like a super fun podcast. You know, Nazis aside, it sounds like you're uh, you're deep diving into some really interesting stories. So best of luck with it. I shall be subscribing, but not before we start chatting about what's going on in the world of media right now. Starting with what's in store for the future of UK broadcasting, as our first story is discussing several industry events that have reflected on the future of the UK news industry. At the Press Gazette conference, ITN's new CEO, Rachel Corp, warned, once we take stock of last fortnight, meaning the coverage of the Queen's death, it could represent something of a turning point where the news media can come back even stronger. The challenge for all of us now is to sustain the momentum and harness some of these positives when we know that around the corner we have a new government a fragile union, a divisive public discourse, whether it's going on in Ukraine or the cost of living crisis. So Warren, first up, what's going on at ITN? How are they feeling about this new government, this new world, this new journalism that we're kind of entering into? And and how are you feeling about the arrival of a new CEO? Well, Rachel's great. uh, And I'm going to say that because she's my boss. But (laughs) Rachel's great great because uh, she was my editor previously at Channel 5 News. She's someone who's very imaginative, very creative, very driven. Um, that's what she wants. And for ITN, um, as a company, they've had three different CEOs in the last four years now. So it's some stability because Rachel's been at ITN for a long time. I think employees seem to be thinking that's the case. In terms of the response to the Royal Funeral, the coverage from our various newsrooms at 4 or 5 and, and ITV has been extensive, uh, exemplary, I would say, in many ways. And it just shows the real depth of abilities of different people who have been involved in in planning this for a long time. I think what has been quite telling is 
how people have come to appreciate the importance of public service broadcasting over the past two weeks and seeing how important it is for these national moments. And I think in Rachel's speech, she was saying a lot about how there needs to be further recognition or new recognition for where public service broadcasting fits in the future. Um, So I think um, what she said was timely. Um, It's really interesting. And I think it's good that she started this debate to work out what happens next. James, you know, newsrooms have been quite an exciting place in the last few weeks, not just because of the new government, but also the funeral was a real news moment across the country and, and across the world. But do you think the, the glitz of record-breaking numbers around these issues actually distract from some of the more serious questions about the future of PSBs? I think it does. I think, you've, you know, if you're relying on the... I mean, not to say that ITN is, but if you're relying on royal deaths as your business model... Um, You know, I think probably once-in-a-generation events uh, aren't ideal. It's a really tricky customer, ITN, in that it's got sort of several brilliant newsrooms who I think are on some of the best form they've been on for a long time and just seem very energised and very motivated. But as a company, it's still sort of quite stuck because it's got no proposition beyond kind of linear public service news and the sort of mandates that go with what we still call terrestrial channels and I I think it's a pretty much unique situation and so for me a little bit of of the the speech which you know there was nothing to disagree with but I thought really most of the speech applied only to ITN. There's not a lot of companies in that position. And what I don't know is what ITN does in a sort of post-television era. You know, if if the internet and TV continue to become indistinguishable from, from each other, I'm not sure where ITN's place is. And it's good they've got a new CEO who's raising the questions about needing a business model and needing possibly something that's you know continues to be beyond just a sort of fully free market model. We need newsrooms that work in different ways. I just hope that you know as as she finds her feet as CEO and the third CEO ITN's had in a very short time that she can start to find some answers for these questions that she's posing. But it's good to start out as she has, I think. Yeah, Warren, I'm sure you've got thoughts about that as ha- having having launched your own startup that's away from kind of terrestrial broadcasting and now gone back into ITN. Are you getting a sense that actually the future is being thought of when it comes to ITN beyond just the schedules? Absolutely. And James, it's almost as if Rachel's been peering into your mind because it seems ITN already have answers uh, to some of those questions. They're in the midst of launching ITVX, uh, which is a new uh, news division within the company. It's kind of a a hybrid um, news service where they'll be responding to to large events. It's going to be on demand. It's going to be video led. And it really is a new proposition in terms of trying to bridge that gap between terrestrial broadcasting and also how people are now receiving their content on their phones or or online or, you know, through streaming services. So IT, ITN, I'd say, are already are already thinking about that. Um, they've been launching new services for a while. They they launched the Rundown, which did very well for youth audiences, which ran on Snapchat and, and also on other platforms too. So 
I'd say ITN are already thinking strategically about what happens next because everyone knows the way that we're all consuming um, news content now is changing, especially for younger audiences, which I know a bit more about. So, yeah, there is a challenge there. But I think what ITN need to do and ITVX in particular is make sure that they stick to their values. People know that ITN's journalism is rigorous, it's impartial, it, it seeks to find out what's really going on and to explain it in a very, very straightforward way to mass audiences. And I think the new challenge for them with ITVX is that they continue to draw upon that rich heritage, but at the same time, continue to innovate too. But just just very briefly on the, on the ITVX point, so this is a 24-7 news service that is going to be launched via an on-demand platform. My understanding is that that is going to mainly be pre-recorded content as opposed to live breaking news bulletins. Is, is that right? And is, is that where ITN are moving towards, that it's actually less breaking news and more content no. that you can watch on demand? Now, as I understand, it's going to be a mixture of the two. So when there are large breaking events... What you'll find is on the major news platforms, say, you know, if you watch Sky News, they'll tell you that their figures show that when there's a big breaking event, viewers flock to them. The rest of the time, Sky News' viewers are relatively low, and that's quite common with 24-hour only news channels. So what ITVX will be doing is bridging that gap by having when there are big breaking events, and, you know, that could happen any day. They'll go live, they'll be broadcasting live from the studio, they'll be, you know, throwing live to reporters and correspondents wherever they are. But at the same time, they'll always also be doing other forms of journalism too. So it's that hybrid mix, really. Well, if last few years have anything to go by, I'm sure there's going to be non-stop yeah. for, the, for the next decade at least. But Corp's address also was used to call on the government to hurry up its, its with its legislation to protect mm. platforms and publishers. James, what is the state of sustainability in journalism at the moment? And what would you like to see from this new government, however long it may last? So um, I, I think we've got into a slightly dangerous codependency as an industry where we push the two issues together as if they're the same thing. And I worry that's two separate problems that shouldn't necessarily be pushed together as often as, as we sort of try to do. You know, TBIJ is sort of supported by donations and by grant funding. That's on its own not going to be the future, but is working as a model for a few newsrooms. You've got places like the Times or the New York Times that are now mostly funded by their readers and by subscriptions. Some places will be advertising, some places will be sort of either publicly owned or publicly funded. I think we need to try and keep having these experiments with different revenue streams and different revenue mixes because I think if we sort of keep trying to cling to one model, we'll continue being in trouble. But at the same time, we do have to look at the quality of journalism being produced. You know, broadcast newsrooms are full of talent. Print traditional media newsrooms are... You know, we get 100 applicants for every job and loads of them are fantastic. It's always easy to be a bit of a doomster in media, but we're still getting a lot of people who want to do good journalism. And Warren, I mean, James makes a compelling point, but when it comes to younger audiences, which is obviously something that you were concentrated on with the Need to Know channel that you had launched on YouTube, like we do know that younger audiences are 
getting a lot of their information. I don't know if it's news, but but through big tech, you, you mentioned ITN on Snapchat, but also you know, James's conspiracy podcast is, is born out of the fact that there are lots of very popular conspiracy theorists on, on YouTube that are particularly compelling to younger audiences. So do we need to be thinking about how the next generation is consuming news and information and, and make sure that it's done in a way that's both protected but, but still has a... Uh, a, a walled garden away from government and politics? I think so. Uh, I think the fundamental issue for me is that there could be a democratic deficit if we don't have a news ecosystem where young people and the general population can know they can find impartial quality journalism on the channels where they spend their time. If we rewind the clock to even 10, 15 years ago, and we just think about the idea of eyeballs and attention. We believed then, when it came to television, that it was important that there were certain firewalls or parts of the television schedule that were ring-fenced to know that young people were able to get the broadcast content which we thought was nourishing for them. Think about, you know, the hour and a half after, you know, 4pm on, on BBC One, same as on ITV, where you get programmes like, you know, Newsround, which were, you know, front and centre. That attention now has moved from the terrestrial channels and gone to online. And that online space isn't regulated very well. It's now dominated by companies which aren't based in the UK. And the content which is being produced there, not necessarily by them, but by which is being hosted by them, isn't necessarily of the same quality because there is so much content. Now, it's a philosophical question. What is important to us? Do we think it's really important that we have content which explains the world in a fair and even-handed way for young people? Or do we think that we shouldn't get involved in that? I would say that I think it's really important that we have content which is not just accessible, because there is content now which is accessible, but it isn't necessarily front and centre. And I don't see why tech companies or other online platforms don't have the same responsibility that the terrestrial broadcasters used to have to have, and in some sense still do have, to produce that kind of content. So it's a big question in terms of where we go as a country. Well, listen, it's a very complicated area. It seems to be getting more complicated as the days move on, but let's hope that um, we're going to have a good, solid debate around it. Also in the news, building on the success of his video explainers, Ross Atkins is set to host a new BBC One show called Ross Atkins on the Week. James, is this the kind of innovation that can successfully bridge social media and more traditional programming? I mean, I'll be interested to see it in that, you know, Ross... Roz has really sort of found something that works and something that connects and goes viral with kind of good information online and on social media, which is sort of notoriously difficult to do. Um, But I do sort of wonder, it's quite a challenging sort of format um, and it's quite provocative. And so to bring it to a BBC One terrestrial audience... I think is quite a brave move from the BBC, which is not a sentence you always sort of say. I wonder, sort of, with the sort of imprimatur of BBC One, is he going to face more challenge from the government or from the Daily Mail? But I think, you know, they're they're doing all right on the quiet. You know, America cast, Ukraine cast, newscast... 
feel like a different BBC, feel a bit more relevant to living in the year 2022 than some of the more stilted formats. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it's good the BBC are doing it. I'd add, though, I mean, this, if you think back, I think it was Netflix four years ago had the Explained series, which was kind of a bit like a, a video explainer series where they'd pick topics or points of interest and explain what's going on in the world. Um, I think that was made in collaboration with the, the guys at Vox. So these kind of explainers have been done before. They do have big audiences, and, the, and I think it's good that the BBC does innovate. Just to stand up for the BBC, because no one else seems to these days, I'm going to say that the BBC has a tough job. They have to appeal to the entire country. So when people talk about formats and being old or whatever, we've got to remember that there are people who enjoy some of the older formats. There are people who enjoy the Today programme still. There are people who enjoy the Today programme and also enjoy Newsbeat. And I think it's good that the BBC tries to do a bit of everything. And I think it's really good they're trying to innovate by having Ross on, on BBC One with the show. Well, I'm hoping that he finishes each episode with one of his drum and bass mixes, because I think <laughs> that, that will certainly bring in a, a different type of audience. And he's pretty damn good at it, if you've ever heard his, uh, his uh, Desert Island mix on Six Music. Well, our deep dive this week builds on our discussion of news journalism. Charlotte Tobit shared her insights from the Press Gazette's Future of Media conference. Here are her top three takeaways. My first takeaway is something that I think people across the industry should be aware of, which is um, Nick Newman from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism shared some quite worrying stats about news avoidance. Basically, to summarise, he shared some stats showing that the proportion of news consumers who avoid the news has increased sharply and it's at 46% in the UK saying um, that they avoid the news and that's doubled in five years. So um, basically that's something that obviously we can't just ignore and um, we need to think about how we reach those people. A lot of them are saying they avoid the news because it has a negative effect on their mood. So, you know, are there more positive things that we can do or um, can we do that by including more solutions journalism, for example? I think that's something that people need to think about. My second takeaway was the strength of feeling among some of the big dogs of the day about tech giants and that relationship between platforms and publishers and what we need to do about it. It sounds like um, more collaboration is desperately needed essentially and and swifter action from the government and, and a way we can do that is to get the industry to work together. So um, for example, News UK Chief Operating Officer David Dinsmore uh, spoke about this issue and he, you know, he's saying uh, we do need something to get a digital market across all industries, but obviously it, it particularly relevant for us uh, to work effectively. As many of your listeners will know, the digital markets unit is kind of stalled and there's also the online safety bill that he's saying, you know, there needs to be a big carve out for professional journalism. But uh, yeah, interestingly, he talked about how News UK has deals with Google and Apple, although not Facebook, but um, he's he's found it's much more productive to have kind of a partner-like conversation with the platforms now rather than an adversarial one. So maybe a slight change of tone there in terms of how we work together with them. My third takeaway is about the amazing opportunity podcasts hold at the moment with several panellists talking about how we are entering a golden age. One quote I loved was from... 
uh, David Marsland, the head of audio at the Evening Standard, who said, um, I think we're going to get our first Sopranos. I think we're going to get our first Mad Men. So, you know, he's talking about the golden age of TV and, and how we're at that stage for podcasts. But w- what was great was that it wasn't just, um, you know, audiences are up and revenue is following. Ad revenue is hugely up. Sponsorships, you know, four or five times more lucrative than programmatic advertising. But that can still work for small niche ones. You know, sponsors want people that they can, communities they can directly address. And also we heard about how there are companies that group together podcasts of similar uh, genres and communities so that even if they're too small individually for sponsors to be interested, they can sort of all benefit by clubbing together and then the sponsor can still get the, the whole niche that they're after. And then um, we, we heard also about um, subscriptions for podcasts. Um, so the FT and Evening Standard both said, you know, they're not really looking at it right now, but they're not ruling it out. And we heard from uh, Danny Horn, former podcast leader at Apple, who's now a children's podcast maker, Small Wardle, who talked about people shouldn't just be too reliant. You know, it's easy to just think, oh, well, advertising's working for me, I'll stick with that. But actually, if, you, if you're able to diversify your revenue streams, it can be really helpful and sort of keep you going in the longer term so yeah we had two panels about podcasts and I felt that both were really upbeat and positive and um, loads of encouraging things so that's one really positive takeaway. So there's three takeaways you can hear a couple more over on the MediaPod Patreon or um, you can go to pressgazette.co.uk where we're going to be doing lots of write-ups of things we learned on the day as well and uh, we should have some soon in our own podcast as well, uh, The Future of Media Explained. That was Charlotte Tobit from the Press Gazette. It's time for a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this with the news in brief. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
And I'm back with our two guests, James Ball and Warren Nettlefoot. It's time to look at our news in brief. Open Democracy and the Bureau of Investigative Journalism are fighting a libel claim over former Kazakhstan President Nursultan Nazarbayev. I'm hoping my pronunciation is right there, James. But can you give us a bit of an insight into what's been going on there? So obviously we're facing a lawsuit, so I'm not going to get into loads of the details, as I'm sure the media podcast would not like to be uh, subject to either. But sort of both TBIJ and Open Democracy were fairly small newsrooms, we're independent, we're not for profit. And think we try to sort of do accountability journalism and public interest journalism. And we are sort of facing this quite major lawsuit from something called the Nazarbayev Fund. And at the core of their sort of lawsuit is them saying it's sort of outrageous for us to ask questions about the connections between the Nazarbayev Fund, which had one of its subsidiaries that was a UK company had billions of dollars of assets sort of sitting on its its books to ask questions about it and to suggest that the Nazarbayev Fund might be connected to Nasultan Nazarbayev, who ruled Kazakhstan for 28 years and has named not only the airport and the university after himself, but also the capital city. And so it's a strange case in that it's not only do we think our reporting was right, we don't think it's even defamatory, and yet this fund that's got billions and billions in dollars is suing these two small newsrooms, which don't. And there's a sort of known issue in the UK with libel law of these lawsuits that we call slaps, which is strategic litigation against public participation. And that sort of lawsuit's not aimed at restoring your reputation or getting compensation for untrue journalism, but aimed instead at kind of trying to make newsrooms go, oh, it's not worth writing this story or fighting this battle because this person or this company is so rich, they'll just sue you anyway. But back in July, the UK government were doing something about this, right? I mean, what, what happened to that? I thought that there was some legislation that was coming through to, to almost give you a bit more support in, in being able to investigate and do good, strong journalism against powerful people. I mean, the government, or the last government, Boris Johnson's government, had said it was going to do something because people like Catherine Belton or Tom Burgess or Oliver Bullough had faced these kind of lawsuits for doing journalism on oligarchs and often Russian oligarchs. And so we had been hearing that the government was going to try and make it a lot harder for people to use the law like this. The issue is we've sort of we've changed government since then. And so we've already had support from MPs. There's um, going to be an adjournment debate in Parliament about it. There's sort of this coming up. But I think one thing that we're very anxious to see happen, and I imagine other sort of investigative journalism outlets uh, and teams, you know, whether it's the Insight team, whether it's the Guardian team, whether it's, you know, one of ITN's several very good investigations units uh, that we, we've worked with, we really need this law to come through because it's not just about sort of whether you win or lose the actual lawsuit. It takes so much time and so much effort and so much money to fight them that it's it's immensely difficult. You know, we've had to do a crowdfunder to help us fund both the legal costs and the other costs around the case. And so it, it would be such a 
good bonus to proper quality accountability journalism to see these slap rules come through. And Warren, the, the fourth estate kind of holding power to account is obviously mm. almost like the whole point of journalism. Obviously, part of your role is, is bringing stories to the editors and, in, and the news desk. What point do you as a journalist go to an editor with a story and uh, and, and hope for the support or, or is a newsroom and an editor now expected because things are moving so quickly a newsrooms and editors expecting you to have done your due diligence before it gets to gets underneath their noses I'd say if journalists are fearful about pitching a story or fearful of a kind of backlash then maybe they're in the wrong business because our job is to hold people to account I can't speak from any kind of experience to say that pitching a story at ITN, there's a fear of any of our reporters to not pitch something because of a backlash, because we are there because we fundamentally believe in the principle of holding people to account and telling people what's going on. So um, I think that's the, the really great thing about ITN. We're, we're fearless and we, you know, we push the stories that are important and that we think the public needs to know about. And obviously, James, holding power to account is, is something that is incredibly popular, as it should be with, with most audiences. Do you think that the public support could help bring this forward on the government agenda? Or, or are they themselves concerned about it because they're frightened of journalists exposing wrongdoing on their part? I mean, that's sort of the the worry, isn't it? It's a good way for politicians to show that they support accountability. And the media has always been sort of one of the safety valves of British democracy. You know, I'm hopeful. We in Open Democracy launched a crowdfunder. It's hit £30,000 within the first 48 hours. You know, anyone listening, please do have a look at the TBIJR Open Democracy Twitter feeds and think about supporting if you can it it doesn't mean that we're trying to get rid of libel law it's a good safety valve it's good that journalists have to check and double check and triple check but you know there shouldn't be this recourse to just exhaust quality journalism just by having deeper pockets than we do. Well, hopefully you both are just as thorough in keeping up with the news as you are in making sure you're reporting on it as well, as we're going to go swiftly into our media quiz. I hope you guys have got your fingers at the ready. Actually, instead of buzzers, as you know by now, that we use your names as your buzzers. So we're going to have a bit of a test of that right now. So James, if you've got the answer to one of our pressing questions, we will hear you shout. James. And Warren. If you've got the right answer to one of our tricky questions that we're going to approach to you right now, we will hear you say... Wazza. Wazza. (laughs) I have not done my homework for this quiz, so I'm genuinely terrified. Good. It makes it all the more fun. So we're going to tackle tech and digital media news this week with a game of Finish the Headline. I'll read out the headline with missing critical words. All you need to do is buzz in with your name if you know the answer and finish the headline. So, off we go. Twitter will question what under oath in Delaware next week? James. James, go for it. That's got to be Elon Musk. World's richest man on deposition. What could possibly go wrong? It is Elon Musk. Can you give us the crib notes on exactly what's happening? It feels like the fastest moving story. It's almost as fast moving as one of his rockets. Exactly what is going on with Twitter and Elon Musk at the moment? Um, Twitter, which doesn't really want Elon Musk to buy it, is trying to force Elon Musk to pay $44 billion to buy it, uh, which he doesn't want to do. So everyone's quite miserable and it's going to be a very dramatic court case. I mean, I can't keep my eyes off it. It, it's, it seems like the most hilarious 
soap opera, tech soap opera, and following it on Twitter as well while it happens. Is this just a continuation of the pro-trolling that Elon Musk does, or do you think he was ever serious about a Twitter bid? I don't think he was. I think he sort of assumed that he could just sign... There's this thing called specific performance, which uh, means unless someone does a major breach of the agreement, you actually have to follow through. And I think he assumed he'd be able to eat a fine or sort of, you know, get out of it in some way and didn't really realise that, you know, it's like when you've exchanged if you're buying a house. He's kind of on the hook for this whole thing now. And I think everyone's a little bit worried about what happens when you try and force the world's richest man to do something he doesn't want. You know, what do you do if you're a US court and someone like Musk just says no? So I think everyone's a bit nervous about this one. Well, let's move on before uh, Elon starts putting you on blast on Twitter and claiming that you're another fake news bot on the platform. Uh, Our next question is, what is launching an audiobooks business with an a la carte pricing? There's only a few players in this market. um, Go on, Wazza. Spotify? It is Spotify. The audio giant is offering 300,000 audiobooks, but it'll be a separate service from its premium music and podcast subscription. This obviously feels like a, a shot across the bows for Audible. Are you an audiobooks fan, either of you? No, I prefer to actually read the books. An, an actual book's not on a Kindle. I like the feel of the page. I'm old-fashioned. Yeah, I don't do Kindles either. And uh, mm. actually, both of my parents, who are in their 70s, are both like avid Kindle readers, and my mom's a massive audiobook fan. And so they, they both kind of call me a Luddite. But <laughs> if I'm listening to something, I want something that was designed to be audio. And, mm. you know, books generally aren't. Well, I'm looking forward to Spotify launching their ringtone store so we can properly bring back the 90s. Um, uh, <laughs> let's, let's see if the crazy frog makes a, a reappearance on that platform. And our final question, I think we've got one apiece right now. So it's a thrilling nail-biter right now. The question is... New what episode? Eight takeaways from Adnan Saeed's release. What James. Was it? Was it? I have to give it to James. It came in quite uh, early. If you don't know the answer to this, then what are you doing on a podcast? I mean, it's, James, it's, give us the right answer. It's serial, isn't it? I mean, 400 million it, people listen to that show, which is just a number... You know, any of us who work in media, you just hear 400 million and the instant jealousy is insane, isn't it? So, yes, this is on, on the on the hit podcast serial. The first season centred around the case of Adnan Saeed and he has been released from prison after serving 23 years for the murder of his ex-girlfriend, Hay Min Lee. I'm assuming that you both listened to Serial um, and you were, yeah. you were a fan of it back then. Obviously, the, the following series haven't been as successful, um, but it did spark a wave of true crime podcasts. How are we feeling, James, about the idea of podcasts being the one that serves justice to wrongdoing and false imprisonment? I, I mean, it feels a strange replacement for the jury system, doesn't it? You know, maybe that's just how the world works now. Maybe that's the future of the media. We'll uh, replace the jury system with uh, whether the prosecution or defence does the best eight-part podcast series. I, I think I could be down for that. But joking aside, it's just the case that podcasting is legitimate news and we should just respect it for the medium, right? Is this just a case of, of us taking podcasts seriously as, as part of the investigative journalism landscape? Absolutely. It's its its own format as well. There's sort of... what What's interesting is it's very different from how you would do a TV 
sort of current affairs documentary or how you would do a movie podcasting sort of got its own narrative form and its own structures but there's a lot of really serious journalism going on on it and it's well beyond true crime there's sort of corporate espionage there's all sorts of other things so yeah I think it is growing up as a medium and I think there's good accountability journalism being done on it and you know long may that continue well, not only is journalism the winner, but you are also the winner, James Ball. So congratulations on, on picking up this week's trophy for the media podcast. Um, you win the opportunity to tell everybody what you're currently listening or watching um, and evangelising about on, uh, on, on your media diet right now. So if you are looking for an investigative podcast, please listen to Smokescreen, which uh, TBIJ put out. But I, I have to say, I have uh, just listened to the first three episodes of uh, Hoaxed which is Alexi Mostras, who did Sweet Bobby, uh, his his new podcast. And it is extraordinarily good, even if it's difficult listening. I hope with all of those recommendations, we've reignited your queue of podcasts. But that's all we've got time for today. My thanks to James Ball and Warren Nettleford. Please both tell us where we can keep up to date with your work. Warren, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter, but I don't really like it. So I just say watch ITV News or Channel 5 News. I'm at Twitter at W Nettleford, even though I don't tweet anywhere near as much as I should. Tweet him. Everyone tweet Warren and let's get him back on the platform just in time for Elon Musk to uh, to get that value of $44 billion out extracted from, from the great content that Warren's going to put on the platform. And James, we can't get you away from Twitter, can we? Uh, no, I'm horribly addicted to Twitter. I'm at JamesRBUK. So if you've enjoyed this episode, show us you mean it by doing any or all of the following things. Please tell a colleague about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn and become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash mediapod. There you'll be able to access a deep dive interviews with all our media experts. That's patreon.com slash mediapod. And of course, follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice. My name's Faraz Osman. You can catch me on at Faraz Osman on Twitter or any of the work that my company's doing, Goldwaller at gold underscore Waller on all the socials. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill and it was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.